It is incredible that there are many churches today where people are taught there are no prophets, no longer any prophets in the New Testament church. We're going to look at a scripture where it tells that Jesus gave prophets to the ministry for the New Testament church, and then we're going to look at several examples of prophets working in the New Testament church in the Bible. This shows us our example for living today. When you go to the New Testament and you see something done in the New Testament, you can believe it exists today and is done today. So first, let us establish the ministries that Jesus has given to the New Testament church. That is done by looking at Ephesians chapter 4. We look at verse 8 first. When he, Jesus, ascended up on high, after the crucifixion and the resurrection... He, Jesus, led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some prophets, some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The churches are filled with craftiness and deception in doctrine, doctrine set up by men. You, as a Christian, have the right and responsibility to check that doctrine against the Bible, to read the Bible, and when your church doctrine differs with the Bible, you have to choose the Bible. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. It's the only rule book we have for the New Testament church. Let's look again at the ministries Jesus gave to the New Testament church after he arose. When he ascended up on high... He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry. There is absolutely nothing that has removed apostles and prophets except some of the doctrines of men took them out and said there are no more apostles and prophets. Do we have any examples of prophets working in the New Testament church in the Bible? Yes, we do. We have several examples of prophets in the New Testament church. 
we have examples of teachers in the New Testament church. What is amazing is that these human beings in their churches removed prophets and kept teachers when they have both. We have prophets and teachers in the church, in the Bible, working after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. It, this makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense to have removed prophets from the church. These are doctrines of men that did this. But by the Bible, we establish what is accurate, what is real. So now we're going to look at examples from the Bible of prophets working in the New Testament church. First, look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, this is the New Testament church. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Both prophets and teachers were working in the New Testament church in Antioch. If you will look at Acts chapter 11, verse 27 and through 30, again we see examples of prophets in the New Testament church. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So you see the work of a prophet. By the Spirit of God, he was shown what was to come. And he shared it with the elders and with the church. And as a result of knowing this, they decided to send help to the poor church that was dwelling at Jerusalem. The next example, Acts 21, verses 8 through 11. The next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. One of the ministries of God is evangelist. Now we accept that. Is there anyone in any church that says there are no evangelists? Not that I know of. So they came to the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Here are some women who are prophets, prophesying. Prophecy is for the church. Yes, they spoke to the church as prophets. 
Acts 21 And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This prophet warned them of something that was going to happen. And it, hap- and it was the Apostle Paul's garment that showed Paul would be treated this way by the Gentiles. Here are some other examples of prophets in the New Testament. Silas was a New Testament prophet who traveled with the Apostle Paul. Paul chose Silas to travel with him. Acts fifteen thirty-two, And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Now this is not the Judas that... Uh, Judas Iscariot. It was. This is another Judas. There were many Judases, men named Judas. This was another Judas, and Judas and Silas, being prophets, this is the New Testament church. They're prophets. They exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Acts fifteen verse forty, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Paul took Silas with him on some of his trips. Now, it makes sense to have a prophet with you. Why? Because God chooses to give that prophet things like word of wisdom and word of knowledge. This is one of the works of a prophet, is to share those gifts This first happened to me in a prayer group back around 1977 before I even knew that I was called to be a minister. I was in this prayer group at a local house. Only a handful of women attended it. We met weekly, I think maybe 10 women or so. They were praying about something. And I had my head bowed and my eyes closed, and I heard, by the Spirit of God, a thought came into my mind. It was the Spirit of God speaking to me, and the word was, look up. I opened my eyes and looked up, and on the wall, I saw an impression of the outline of some part of a human body. I said to God, I know that's a part of the body, but I can't remember which part. And I heard stomach. And I said, oh, yes, a stomach. Now, you see, all these women are praying about something. But I am talking to God. And he's talking to me. So I said, oh, yes, that's a stomach. That's like the old Pepto-Bismol commercials on television. So when the women quit praying, I gathered the nerve to say, Does someone have a stomach problem? One woman said, oh, I do, I do. That's how God got my attention and how he showed me word of knowledge. I had no way of knowing 
anyone had a stomach problem. I was not thinking of stomach. But God gave a word of knowledge. This is a spiritual gift. You will see that spiritual gift listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A word of wisdom is another thing often given to prophets and others too. A word of wisdom shows how to deal with the subject. A word of knowledge shows the subject. After that experience at the Bible class that I went to every Sunday morning, the teacher always said, Does anyone have a word from the Lord? As they did their singing at the beginning of the Bible class, God would give me words of knowledge. And I I saw them always outlined on the wall, or nearly always. Sometimes it was just a word about something. And I learned through the experience at this Bible class to share these words of knowledge with the group. And there was always a decent and orderly method of sharing. For the Bible teacher always invited us to share. Does anyone have a word from the Lord? In the 11 o'clock service, not ever once did I have given to me by God a word of knowledge. Why? There was no opportunity to share. The pastor never gave any opportunity that I ever remember like the Bible class teacher did. He never said, does anyone have a word from the Lord? So there was a closed door at the 11 o'clock service where there was an open door for the Spirit of God to share in the Sunday school class. So this is how he taught me. Well, it makes perfect sense to me that Paul would choose a prophet to travel with him. There are so many times in my own work during the past 40 years that I wanted to talk to a prophet. I think we had a prophet with us in our group. And I would call her and I, would, I wouldn't I would say, what do you think about this? I would just tell her the subject. And she would say, yes, I thought of that. And she would tell me a confirmation. And it was so helpful. Prophet work is like you are walking on a high wire up in the sky without a net. And you have to have the courage to speak what you have heard or seen, like the stomach problem. You have to have the courage to do it. Now, very often, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see it is filled with prophets being sent to the kings and to the rulers to correct them in some way that they are going and to pronounce judgments on them. This is filled, the Old Testament is filled with this. I have done that. I had to do that with my own pastor because he did something. He killed a prophet. How? It was a prophet from his own church. He invited her to be on his television show. And just before they went on air, he said, Oh, just one thing. Don't mention being a prophet because it's not popular. She she called me weeping after the show. I was absolutely furious with him, with this pastor. I told him that because he killed a prophet, his house would be left unto him desolate. 
that is a scripture in um, Matthew 23, where Jesus talked about people who kill prophets by making them not talk, by not freeing them to talk. Here this pastor wanted to be popular. Ava was a very attractive, physically attractive young woman. And he invited her on her TV show. But he said, don't mention being a prophet because it's not popular. He killed a prophet. Well, after that, his situation turned out really bad. At the time he did this, he had a church that seated about 8,000 people with television cameras and all set up for him to do television shows. It ended up that he lost the church. The whole building was torn down by the city of Farmer's Branch. He was charged with... uh, He was taken to court by some of his own followers, some of his own church members, and charged with fraud because he made a real strong plea for their money, promising them a hundredfold return for their money. Some of them took him to court. His wife, he and his wife divorced. He remarried, committing adultery when he remarried. He divorced a a wife that was faithful. He remarried, as far as I know she was faithful, but he remarried. Then that wife, who said she was an evangelist, sued him and divorced him and tried to get half of his money. That's how Wikipedia, uh, Encyclopedia on Internet uh, shows it. Then he remarried again. But in the interim, ABC World News Primetime Live in 1991, I believe it was, did an expose about this man. His name is Robert Tilton. If you care to do so, you can see it on internet, uh, um, just under the name Robert Tilton. I don't recommend it that you see it. I'm just saying you can see it. But what ABC News showed that I was just really thought was bad is Bob asked his television audience to send money. I mean, to, give, to send prayers, send their prayer requests to him. The letters were automatically forwarded from the Farmer's Branch, Texas church, unopened, to a bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Some of the bank employees were assigned to open the envelopes, throw the prayer request in the garbage, and give deposit the money in Bob's ministry account. He was taking in $80 million a year from his television show, according to Primetime Live. $80 million a year from these prayer request offerings. At one point, when I had gone on radio, Bob came to me and he said, Joan, you need to be with Michael Ellison Advertising Agency. They can do you a lot of good. So I contacted them. And for a very short time, I was a client of the ad agent. The first thing they, I remember them telling me was this. We want you to put on all of your printed material 
send me your prayer request. And I said, oh, I don't want to do that. They were shocked. I said, they should pray. They are supposed to pray to God through Jesus Christ, not through me. And in the, I didn't explain this to them, but I know this. It's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. That's in James 5. There is no way I could pray effectively over prayer requests sent to me by the mail, pack large piles of prayer requests. First of all, you have to know the will of God for that person before you can pray effectively. If you pray according to God's will, he hears you. Well, I would have to know the will of God for these people. And say there are a hundred prayer requests that come in. Well, this is impossible to deal with. Absolutely impossible to deal with in a righteous way. It can't be done. These ministers will say, oh, I laid my hands on it and prayed. Nonsense. Nonsense. That's not an effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. First, you have to know the will of God on the matter. There are many times people have grabbed me and said, Oh, pray for me. I Pray for me. I'm sick. Pray for me. I've got to go to the hospital and have an operation. I've just stared at them. Sometimes I respond to them by saying, Now, wait a minute. I can't pray for you effectively unless God shows me something or gives me a heart for it. If he does that, I'll pray. It does no good to do the other. Some of you have gone to your churches and got them to pray for you, and maybe the prayer has been answered, and maybe it hasn't. But the whole thing is, it has to be the will of God that the person is praying. Why can't you pray? You can pray as well as I can. You're not going to get more from God than I will get for you. Why do you think I'm more powerful than you are? It's praying by the will of God. Uh, that is in 1 John chapter 5. If we pray according to his will, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have answered what we have asked of him. Let me look that up. I'm just speaking by the Holy Spirit leading me here. It is in 1 John 5, it's verse 14, 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Back to the subject of Bob Tilton. So he was asking people to send him their prayer request. The envelopes were received at Farmer's Branch and forwarded to Tulsa, and the bank people at Tulsa were opening the envelopes, taking out the money, and throwing the prayer request in the garbage. It turned out that destroyed Bob. He was taking in $80 million a year, according to Primetime Live, ABC Primetime Live. After that, 
everything deteriorated, and his house was left to him desolate. He went to Florida for a while, and he tried to do another TV show, but it was never the success that he had in Dallas. The last report Wikipedia gives of Bob Tilton is that he bought an, an hotel in Culver City, California, and that his ministry basically was non-existent. Now think back to what happened. He killed a prophet by telling her, don't say anything about being a prophet because it's not popular. That's killing a prophet. I was sent to Bob with the message that because you did this, your house is going to be left to you desolate. That is the work of a prophet in the New Testament church. God will sometimes send us to an evildoer with a pronouncement of judgment. So that uh, here we see in the Bible the working of prophets. In the New Testament church, in the days of the New Testament church, in the early church. Well, of course there are prophets today. Of course there are. Some of them are not known. They're not visible. I, I was in Clovis, New Mexico several years ago, and I had coffee with a couple of Baptist women, and they began talking. And Alice said to me, Joan, there's a woman in our church that she's just so negative. The pastor is building a new church building, and she's against it. What do you think might be wrong with this woman? The Holy Spirit rose up in me, and out of my mouth came, maybe she's a prophet. Well, they just gasp. And frankly, so did I. I, I mean, that just came out. That was the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at a few more examples of prophets working in the early church in the New Testament Bible. Acts 15.22 Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, prophets. Judas and Silas were prophets. And it says that Judas and Silas were chief men among the brethren, these prophets. So here we've got Paul, a prophet. Barnabas is either a prophet or a teacher by what it says in Acts. But we don't know which. He could have been both. John the Baptist came before Jesus to prepare the way of the Lord in the first coming of Jesus. Listen to this. Luke chapter 1, an angel of the Lord appears to the father of John the Baptist. Verse 11. And there appeared unto him, to Zacharias, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. He's going to be John the Baptist. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. 
for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Please don't make a doctrine out of this. Please don't come up with a doctrine that prophets can't drink wine or strong drink. We do remember that Jesus, the prophet, drank wine. So please don't make a doctrine out of that. Verse 16, And many of the children of Israel shall he, John the Baptist, the prophet, Turn to the Lord their God. And that is the goal of prophets. We are always trying to turn you to God. We are trying to turn you to Scripture. That's our, that's our goal. Because the doctrines in the churches departed from Scripture and changed the doctrine. Oh, I don't even know any church that doesn't have doctrine changed. You have to examine every doctrine by scripture you have to know the bible you have to spend your time in the new testament bible and then when something's wrong at your church you will say wait this doesn't fit the bible and you'll know the truth everything will be judged by the bible but we're trying to turn you to the bible Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he, John the Baptist, shall go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I am totally convinced that before the second coming of Jesus, the New Testament prophets are doing the exact same thing to try to turn you to the Holy Bible and get you ready for the second coming of Jesus and give you an opportunity to get rid of all these wrong doctrines and correct yourself by the Bible when Jesus comes, that when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, as we all will do, that you will have correct doctrine. We have to agree with the scriptures. We have to agree with the scriptures. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We have to agree with that scripture. Matthew 5.32 For at the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to be held accountable for what we have done on this earth. And if you disagree with the scripture and you say, that's not right, it's okay for the divorce, the man to marry a divorced woman. If you say that, at the judgment seat of Christ, you will suffer loss. That's just plain. We are all going to be judged by the word of God. You want to know where the judgment seat of Christ is spoken of? Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaks of it. He says we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ, where we will answer for that which we do, whether it be good or bad. And Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The terror of the Lord has been almost totally omitted from the teachings in the church. And another doctrine has been set up, which, oh, do whatever you want to do. God loves you. He wants you to be happy. That is a doctrine on a path to hell. If you take that way, that's not true. 
There is a terror of the Lord. We are all going to be judged in the day of judgment by what we do on this earth, whether good or bad, and you are not going to be able to go against the scriptures and be justified at the judgment seat of Christ. This is Joan Boney speaking, and everything that I've spoken to you today, all these scriptures are printed for you on our blog. Go to Jesus Ministries Exhortation. Look on the right-hand side of the home page. You will see Podcast. Click on that. You can bring up this exact recording, which is called Examples of Prophets in the Bible in the New Testament Church. You will see every scripture I have spoken. You can rehear this broadcast and follow along with the actual scripture. This is a tremendous reinforcement for you. Once again, the blog's name is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Be sure to put that word exhortation in your internet search. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak to you today.